This episode of Heavy Cardboard is brought to you by BoardGameTables.com. If you're in the market for a beautiful, hand-built, custom board game table that is sure to become the centerpiece of your game room, go check them out over at BoardGameTables.com and mention Heavy Cardboard when you do. Heavy Cardboard, Episode 51, Fields of Arla. Coming to you from Ostfriesland, welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. So we've been playing a fair amount of games recently. I'm really excited that we're back in the saddle with all this. We have been, and it's really cool. You mentioned that you wanted to have a goal of where we play more games in August than there are days, and we are behind, but I hope, hopefully we'll be able to get there. But we're not terribly No, behind. we're really not. We're it's, just it, a little yeah. bit. I figure we're going to be able to make it up make it up this coming weekend i mean granted you got to edit and everything and we have a busy weekend ahead of us because we're getting ready for the basement to be finished which is going to make for a very chaotic six seven weeks or so here at casa de heavy cardboard but but in the end it's going to be all for the better and it's going to be amazing i cannot wait it's going to be awesome i'm so excited we actually went downstairs today and started trying to map out everything and it's close. <laughs> so we recently took a trip to Grand Junction a couple weeks ago. Uh, took the weekend off from anything show related, board game related, and just had like a, a mini vacation type thing yes. just on a regular weekend. And it was wonderful. We had so much fun. I did say that we took the weekend away from gaming, but we did bring a couple of games with us and we, we stopped at a uh, cool little uh, coffee shop there in town and busted out a game of Card City while enjoying some coffee. Mm-hmm. Got a couple of games, uh, baseball games we took in, which that was the whole impetus for the for the trip to begin with. We went to a really cool game store there in Grand Junction. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Jester's Court. Yeah. We met the owner, Trudy, who, if you're ever in Grand Junction, do yourself a favor and stop by there. It's it's just off the main beaten path uh, of downtown, but it's definitely uh, definitely worth the trip. I was, I was very pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. at the store. I mean, because let's face it, Grand Junction, not exactly a hotbed of gaming activity. Right. You wouldn't think so, but that store was hopping. They had a... X-Wing tournament going on that day, and there's just shelves and shelves of games. And and we're talking like the latest, greatest, yeah. and there was a lot to choose from there. Now, granted, um, they, they were your friendly local game store prices. They're not going to be able to compete with online. I get that, but we did buy a few things while we were there, and yeah, definitely, uh, definitely love the idea of people supporting their local game store there in Grand Junction and it was it was definitely really impressive and that's the Jester's Court tell them heavy cardboard mention them yeah so let's see what what else uh we had some amazing Olathe corn oh. from the farmer at the ball game 
It was so good. And he was so adorable. He just kept shucking corn and giving it to you. We only bought two. And I think we wound up with like four because he just kept shucking and giving them to you. It was really right, funny. Yeah, they, they had a little roaster like, um, you know, like those uh, I'm trying to think like the the pizza oven things that with the conveyor belt, mm-hmm. they'd throw the raw corn in on one end and next there you go. You're eating it. So instead of, you know, take me out to the ball game, peanuts, Cracker Jacks, we had ears of corn. And it was awesome. It was delicious, and it was just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was. It was a lot of fun. It's. I've never been to anything lower than major league ball games, so going to a rookie league game was really cool. You could talk to the players, and they could hear you when you screamed, and really interact. Well, especially since you know we were only like two of four fans for right. the Billy Mustangs. Perhaps <laughs> maybe four, but it was really funny. Every time you would um would yell, there was a couple of guys that would turn around and look like. Like, what's the players? Like, is that that same guy that was here yesterday? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. It was funny. <laughs> I've been told that my voice carries. Little, so, yeah, they bit. definitely could hear. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. It and was. then afterwards, when we were uh, leaving Grand Junction to come back, we stopped at Palisade for world famous Palisade Peaches. And I'll be honest, before we went, I was like, eh, a peach is a peach is a peach. Yeah, not so much. No, it's no. not at all. You Not don't, even close. No, you don't realize it until you have one. And they are amazing. Mm-hmm. So we bought a huge case of those and we froze them so we can have them throughout the year. So I'm excited about that. Yay! And then we went and did a little uh, nature sightseeing. We did. We went to the top of Grand Mesa. Which is apparently the world's tallest mesa. I'm sure. It's, uh, just over 10,000 feet it elevation. Was, it was so much fun. And apparently it's a thing where you bring nuts or sunflower seeds or whatever, and there are little squirrels and chipmunks that are used to people, and they'll run up there and, and eat the stuff out of your hand. So that was awesome. And I'm sure that there, uh, I'll put more pictures up um, eventually and link them on our Facebook page, but we took a ton of pictures of both of us feeding the chipmunks, and it was so much fun. I love little animals, so I was just absolutely in heaven and the view was to die Mm -hmm. for honestly outside of views of maybe the grand canyon and seeing stuff like carlsbad caverns outside of that i don't know that i've ever seen more awe-inspiring sights than you do from the land's end observatory which is right at the edge of uh, the Grand Mesa and you're overlooking the entire valley below. And it was, it was incredible. It was. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. And very much looking forward to going back there and feeding the squirrels again. <laughs> and hopefully uh, in the spring, we're thinking about going up with some friends and having like a weekend, uh, a long weekend, four day weekend, whatever, get away and going up there gaming as well as, you know, just fishing and, and, kayaking and all that you know stuff as well as a lot of gaming so it should be a lot of fun yeah. looking forward to yeah, that it looks like it sounds like it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm excited so as far as a weight watchers update well it looks like i finally plateaued the last few weeks weight wise i reached a low weight of 214 but it seems i'm hovering on any given day i'm gonna be 215 to 219 uh i last weighed in at 216.2 which i mean granted my goal was or and still is 210 pounds but 216 down from 254 i'm still doing all right i'm pretty happy with it so that just means i'm gonna have to actually start exercising to lose the last i don't know anywhere between five to eight pounds or so yeah um um, i'm 
the same. <laughs> I've uh, I actually didn't even put an update in my miscellaneous here because I haven't changed, haven't gained or lost or anything. I'm just, I'm the exact same. But I was doing yoga every day and I was, had this big plan of I was going to do yoga every day in August. And then I took a nap on Sunday and I woke up and I can no longer put any weight on my left ankle without it being uh, me yelping in pain. So I love you to death, but only you. I know. Truly, only you could do something like that I from know. a nap. Yeah, I know. It's it's stupid. But I don't really think it's from a nap. No, I think you just some, stepped some, wrong and yeah, didn't realize something it. Something happened and so I went to the doctor today and he took it they took x-rays from every angle. There's nothing broken. So next Yay. up Yeah. So next up is an MRI. So hopefully that'll give me more information and I don't know when that'll happen, but I work right upstairs from an MRI facility, so it's quite easy to just run down there real quick and have him do it. So I'm hop- Okay, Amanda. fine. I will not run. I will take the elevator and hobble. And hobble because I'm in a walking boot right now. So I get to hobble around like a goober until I figure out what in the world's wrong with me. My ankle. But, hey, thank- <laughs> thankfully we have good insurance, yeah, right? So thank at least goodness. there's that. Yes, at least there's that. So on to happier things. We got our video studio all set up in my old office. And yeah, and Edward so and now I, we're tag teaming in yeah, my office. We are sharing we're both an office in there, and it's it's tight fit because we both have large desks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've also found out that we cannot record together, yes. and it's not it's not because of me micro directing or anything like that. It's a sound issue. Yep. Uh, both of our microphones pick up one another. Yours probably picks up more. Understood. Right. I get that. So I am back where we used to record when Tony and I did this in our game room with our little shield up and you are in our office. Mm-hmm. So hopefully everything sounds great. But yeah. I have no doubt that you will be amazing in post-production. Well, you know, I try. <laughs> And last but not least, at least for me, um, so I guess Gen Con has come and gone. A couple of interesting titles like Captain Sonar, uh, Terraforming Mars, and to a lesser degree, Cry Havoc and Seafall. But overall, Gen Con just seemed kind of lackluster for the games, at least that interest me, or I I should say us. Right. But then again, that's why there's Essen, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. So, um, uh, okay, one last thing. On that Essen note, I, I'm feeling more confident after having talked to the courthouse about getting my name change stuff all f- fixed once the FBI background check comes back. I feel a little bit more confident today than I have in the past about the timing of everything working out and being able to actually get my passport. So fingers crossed, everybody. Yay! <laughs> For all those folks who don't know how to get in contact with us, Amanda. Our website is heavycardboard.com. Our email address is contact at heavycardboard.com. We love hearing from you guys, so please don't be shy. Our Twitter handle is at heavycardboard. Our Facebook page is heavycardboard. Our YouTube channel is heavycardboardvids, V-I-D-S. Our Instagram is heavycardboard. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash heavycardboard. And our BGG guild number is 2044.
Hi, this is Scott Johnson from the Frog Pants Network, and you're listening to Heavy Cardboard. I've always been a throw the insert out and just invest in a bunch of baggies kind of guy, but I'm also not opposed to trying to find a better way to store our games. Ever since I first saw the Trajan insert that Tony had picked up from Meeple Realty, I gotta say, I'm quickly becoming a convert when it comes to the value added that these inserts bring to our gaming time. Not only do they help us store the components better than baggies do and allow us to continue to store the games vertically on the shelf, but the amount of time it saves setting up and cleaning up the games that we've been playing is pretty invaluable. Be it Arkwright, Keyflower, Millennium Blades, Twilight Struggle, or the upcoming Tracarian insert, I can wholeheartedly recommend the inserts from Lee and Tommy over at Meeple Realty. So go check them out, meeplerealty.com, and when you do, tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. So we've been fortunate enough to get a few iTunes reviews in the last couple of weeks since we last recorded. So big thanks to Masaki Uma, Captain Tobbs, Taco, Disc Collector, and Ambi Rose. Thanks a lot, y'all. All right, so we've wanted to continue to say thanks to our Patreon supporters. So here's a few more. Th- a big thank you goes out to Jeremy Rains, Matthew Ward, Ron Moyer, who just today won the latest giveaway to our Patreon supporters. So congrats, Ron. Chris Klarman, Matt Gustafson, Aaron Thompson, Clay Ross, Jamie Stegmeyer, Ravinda Prasad, and Eric Sklar. Thanks a lot to all y'all. We genuinely just can't say enough thank yous to everybody. Thank you so much. All right. So we had about 35 entries for the Euro Crisis giveaway made possible by our friend German Mike. Thank you, Mike. Mm -hmm. I do think it's funny, though, that the next to last rule for the contest that I wrote was to write a 500 word essay on the political and economic impact of Brexit, both on the UK as a whole, but also as uh, for the rest of the world. But then the next rule said to completely disregard that and just email us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been listening. I do think, and you tell me what you think, but I think the lack of reading the rules, so maybe a lack of reading comprehension, or maybe just, you know, hell, hey, okay, this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. It kind of turned some folks off, but it rewarded those that took the time to read the rules in their you know entirety for the contest so yeah was it sneaky yeah maybe was it fun for us though absolutely one person actually did write an essay on that which god bless them thank you so much for that because that just made my day i i i shouldn't have laughed but i did and i just genuinely appreciated it so anyway hopefully f- folks got a chuckle out of it and had fun with it so under the drawing We put the numbers into random.org, and it spit out number 20. So congrats to Rodolfo CB3A. He's our first winner down in Mexico. Shoot us an email, Rodolfo, and we'll get work on getting you that copy of Eurocrisis. Thanks again for all the entries and to German Mike for donating the game to us to give away. The next giveaway being the next episode, so listen for it then. Edward, 
right, so what have we acquired so far this month? Well, so far there's been a total of six games. The first one is the Kickstarter New Bedford has come in. Uh, not too many games on the topic of whaling and the towns that it supported. So no. the, th- the theme appealed to me because you know how I dig odd themes. So right. yeah, that, that was kind of cool. We also picked up a copy of 1844, 1854, the combined game, the artworks by Clemens Franz, and it looks fantastic. I'm really, really excited to get that played. Not as much as 1822, (laughs) but still looking forward to it. Also picked up a copy of Zanguo, which we had reviewed previously on the show, and Tony had gotten the review copy, and I saw it for 20 bucks, shipped, and I was like, eh, all right, I'll pick it up. Because I've kind of been wanting to play it again mm-hmm. and see if my thoughts had changed. And, you know, maybe I'd warmed up to it a little bit more after being a little bit disappointed in Nippon. And so, yeah, different designers and all that. But still, what's your game? There were a couple of games that we picked up from uh, the most recent math trade. One is the Scepter of Zavendor, which is a... A reskin, remake, whatever of the classic uh, no luck game Outpost. And honestly, I'd rather have a copy of Outpost, but there wasn't one in the math trade. So I yeah. thought, eh, we'll give this one a try, even though it's a fantasy theme. The other one is Imperial 2030. We have Imperial, which to my knowledge, Imperial 2030 is basically just a a re-theme to where it's more futuristic as opposed to the earlier time period that the original is set in. Uh, I'm curious to give it a try. Also picked up a couple of games from Academy Games. Strike of the Eagle, the Polish-Russian War 1919-1920, which is their block game, which always curious to check out block war games. And we got Mari Nostrum 2.0. So is there anything on the shopping list that you are looking out for? Well, 1822, still really, really, really want our own copy, even though Tony has a copy, Paul Chad has a copy. I really want that game. And other than that, just, uh, you know, the Essence stuff coming around the corner. That's pretty much it. As far as looking forward to playing, though, for me, there's basically the same five that were on the list last time, and that's more Millennium Blades, Star Wars Rebellion, because I want to at least try it, Panthelos, Princes of the Renaissance, More Crisis, and Scythe as well. So how about you? Uh, Through the Ages 2 player. We've never actually played a full Through the Ages game together, so I would like to do that. Um, Game of Thrones card game. Again, would like to play a full game of that. Millennium Blades, Panthelos. I would like to play that four player. I've never, I haven't played it four. I've played it three and and five. five. I've played it three and five. I want more. Oh, okay, gotcha. I want more five player games and I want to try a four just to see how it is. And And two. I'm curious to try it. I mean, it's worker placement. um, So I don't know how well it'll play two. It does play two, but I'm curious. We can try it. And uh, Mari Nostrum. All right, cool. We'll definitely have to uh, work on getting these busted out. Absolutely. And speaking of playing, yeah, we we have gotten quite a few games busted yeah, out I think here recently. So you uh, want to take it? Sure. So start off with Card City. Through the ages, we played that four player, and we all I, wanted to die. I think I'd ra- I'd rather be at work than play through the ages it four player forever. in person. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't uh, we had Ash with us who it was his first time playing, and it wasn't on him. It's just. It's not a four-player game as far as I'm concerned. Even though it's my favorite game, two or three-player, the end. It just takes too long. Uh, Panthelos, we've been playing a lot of Atten. 
the Age of Steam Soul Train map, and the Scandinavia map. Soul Train, one of our favorites in Scandinavia. Uh-huh. Man, that was that was really, well, I, I keep saying cool and clever, but it really was. It yeah. was a really cool map. Really enjoyed the, uh, the idea of being able to uh, hop from area to area across the sea. Tigris and Euphrates, Calus, Fields of Arla, obviously. 1857, Grand Austria Hotel. Which I had low expectations of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised yeah, by that. Yeah, enjoyed it. New Amsterdam. We played a couple of little test rounds of the Game of Thrones card game. Looking forward to actually getting a, a busting out that full game. Yeah, me that. too. Has there been anything that you've played that I didn't say anything about? Nope, that's pretty mm-hmm. much it. Now, we didn't play them all together, but we've all been playing the same game. So Right. Cool. I think yeah. that's a pretty good list. Oh, yeah, definitely. We want to thank the great folks over at Game Surplus for their sponsorship of the show and for helping us make these great giveaways and contests possible. Great people, great reputation, along with a great inventory of imported and hard-to-find games. Well, you can see why we're proud to be partnered with Game Surplus. Their tagline is, home of great games at great prices. Check them out over at gamesurplus.com. And when you do, remember to tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. So I want to take a second, and by a second I mean a few minutes, and talk about the recent Asmodee taking over other publishers, this time Z-Man among others. And because Amanda doesn't, she doesn't acquire games, she's not really involved with that whole aspect. Yeah, no, I I play whatever's put in front of me. Right. (laughs) And so because of that, I didn't want to just kind of go on a little monologue by myself, so I invited our friend Jim from Punching Cardboard, who's been known to have an opinion once in a while. I invited him to join us, especially since... They recorded their most recent episode before the news broke on this, and I know that he has some thoughts on this, so I thought I'd bring him on. So, Jim, welcome. So, thank you, but unfortunately, since the time you invited me, Asmodee has been in contact. They've purchased Punching Cardboard podcasts, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, now, I'm no longer allowed to say anything. For less That's than awesome. For less than sixty dollars. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. So for those that don't know, Asmodee has, over the course of what the last eighteen months or so, taken yeah. over. Jeez, uh, Fantasy Flight um, F2Z, which is Z-Man, which is really the first one that actually will impact the games that we like to play. Well, is this um, a done deal yet? Because what I read is there. Just in discussion. In discussion, for it. correct. Right. An exclusive and discussion. Exactly. So in other words, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be them and no one else is bargaining yeah. to try and take it over. We're going under the assumption that, that it's it going is, to happen. is going to happen. So what? go ahead. You can start, sir. <laughs> I can start. Uh, I don't know where to, where to start. I mean, everybody is... is uh, there are several threads on BGG and there's been several other people talking about the impact on the retailers, the friendly local game store, which is supposedly the people who are going to be helped by all this, though. I As don't... opposed to the online game store, which is one of our sponsors, which is being soul crushed by this. Right. And maybe you can speak to that because I don't own a game store and I don't have a, a game store as a sponsor. But I also know that uh, Asmodee North America does have exclusive content that they've put into stores like Target. So I don't see how that helps. The friendly local game store at this point. Right, the small guy. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, but they're trying to grow the hobby. 
Uh, so you have sure. to go into the Targets and the Walmarts to grow the hobby with the gateway games, I assume. Uh, isn't it uh, something like Ticket to Ride Junior that's exclusive to Target and something else was? Right, yeah, yeah, something like that. Which I believe, talking to people who own game stores in the area, they've said that they sell things like Ticket to Ride and Carcassonne and Catan, which will all be under this umbrella, <clears throat> as opposed to multiple copies of one of our favorite games, Arkwright. Right. Arkwright isn't going to pay their bills. These are the games that pay their bills, other than Magic or Pokemon or whatever. Sure, yeah. sure. But if they want to be a board game specific store or cater to board gamers, then they've got to dial back on their magic a little bit to cater to let people come in and enjoy some table space without the uh, magic players there. So I don't know. What is it doing to Game Surplus? You've talked with them. Yeah. So Velma, as our listeners know, they have been on board with us from early on in our life, back when we were super tiny. And they are an online game store only. They don't have a storefront, but they cater to imports as well as a lot of domestic titles. Well, because they're an online only game store and they don't have a storefront like the Cool Stuffs of the World and Fun Again and all these other stores, Asmodeus said, nope, sorry, you can't sell our products anymore. Hmm. So... As they acquire more and more publishers, that reduces what they're allowed to sell. And it's slowly strangling them to where it's hard enough to turn a profit on this stuff. And now uh, with the news of this this latest takeover that they have of Z-Man, among others, their viability is seriously in question. And Asmodee has shown no slowing down on this and so you would assume that they're not done acquiring publishers so at some point there's going to be some tipping point to where you know what they just can't survive and i've actually talked to them about uh, opening a, a local game store and it's it's not practical because of where they're out of they're up in amish country in pennsylvania and yeah, that's not going to happen. Well, it's not so, technology; it's cardboard. They can they yeah, can sell. Well, there is that, and I thought about that, but it, still, you can only do it so many hours of the day, because you know candles. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's slowly strangling them, and they are not the cool stuffs. They are not the miniature market. They provide a great service with all the imports that they bring in and all this other stuff that they do at completely reasonable, fair prices that are better than some other online game stores. But Asmodee is single-handedly putting them out of business. And I mean, obviously I'm upset about that. Not, it has nothing to do with, Oh, it's going to hurt the sponsorship of the show. I don't give a shit about that. That doesn't matter. Right. Dude, this is people's livelihoods that for no for to artificially boost up a local local game stores well that's not what they're doing i mean do you believe that's what they're doing i don't i don't believe that that is the real intention the real intention is to make money which correct it's america knock yourself out i'm all for it yeah Uh, i mean that is that is the bottom line i mean we can look at this bottom line no pun intended we can look at this from all kinds of different angles but the, the, the number one thing that Asmodee North America wants to do more than anything 
is increase the profits of that company. They're buying profitable companies. They're buying uh, licenses on games that are popular. Um, they're, they're buying the cream of the crop uh, that may or may not have distribution problems. Uh, they're, they're, they've now got, what, Catan, they've got uh, Carcassonne with this deal coming up. Those are two of your main... Everything uh, with Fantasy Flight, Star Wars... Which has all, all the that. licensing for the, all right. the uh, big uh, movies and, and Game of Thrones and all that. So they're now, granted, buying everything up. Right. Now, <laughs> granted, a lot of your listeners, which there's a ton of crossover between our two shows, right? Um, and a lot of our listeners are just shrugging their shoulders going... I don't get I just don't care because a lot of these publishers don't affect the publishers directly that we tend to talk about and review on our show. Z-Man is finally the first one that that really hits for us. Yeah. And our listeners. But my my thinking here is okay, well prices are going up now for them and they're going to be able to dictate these things. And you look at what uh Jamie Stegmeyer does with that he has the and Mayfair also does um, with the the floors on how far you're allowed to discount this. Right. As they get more and more market share, are they going to across the board just cause prices to go up? I don't, yeah, I don't know about that. I, I I don't know how it all works once it gets out in the market. I know that the free market says it's worth whatever people will pay for it, right? Correct. I mean, <clears> look at Splatter, market. right? I mean, these Correct. guys these guys are on the higher end of things, or 18XX, and they still sell. They yeah. don't sell like Fantasy Flight sells. No. But but they don't have a license. they got roads and boats, and you've got to take a marker and draw on plastic. We don't have, right. You know, they don't have Millennium Falcon. It's a better game, uh, but it doesn't have the license. And you know how many people are. Ooh, it has a license. Shiny. Let's go get right. it. Right, and ooh, dolls on a map. Right, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and and I I have X Wing in some of the ships. I can't follow it all. I can't buy their sets of ships all the time. But I have an eight year old kid, and it's kind of fun. It's a dogfight. It's fairly as deep as most any time of uh, any type of squad combat game, commands okay. colors or anything. I mean, it does have depth and it does have fun to it. But make no mistake, like Magic. There's a new one coming out, a new one coming out, a new one coming out. We want you on this treadmill. We want you to spend this money. Yep, got to get that heroin <laughs> fix. And so you feel like that, and then Asmodee buys it, and make no mistake, they're more faceless, uh, or at least seemingly to me. And so, you know, it's going to be there's going to be a shakeout. As you say, the first casualties are probably going to be people like Game Surplus, because again, they're offering for my. I don't know them as well because I don't personally talk to them like you do. But what I see is they're offering me an opportunity to pick up import games first and foremost. They're doing that. That's their service. So they're small and it's a service. They, they, they provide a service in finding me these games I can't get through the normal through my friendly local game store, through cool stuff, through any of those places. Right. Through you have or you have to jump through hoops. Right. Or order know, them, to get them on your own. Order them right. direct from, from Germany and pay as much in shipping as it cost me the game or from Japan or wherever they're getting their games from. Um, but they also, they, they would have to depend on selling the, the more mainstream games to make up the difference in running the business so that they can stay afloat. 
Right. It's just like how friendly local game stores sell magic so they can stay afloat right. for the most part. That Now, obviously, there are exceptions to this, sure. but for the most part, Warhammer, 40K, and magic make the world go round and keep the lights on, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Same idea. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know enough about business. I, I've been reading all the threads. I've been reading the people saying, well, you know, this isn't price fixing legally. True. Um, this is how it works in a lot of industries. Probably true. Uh, is it fair? Well, then the next thing will be, who cares if it's fair? Life isn't fair, right? Right. So I look at this differently. I look at this from the point of, point of view that I buy and play games. And I would like a company like Game Surplus to stay in business so that I can buy and play the games I want to play. And it, it and it's already hard enough to find those games sometimes, or I have to wait until they're able to make a deal to bring them over. <clears throat> but that aside, and you guys are probably the same way, I'm interested in innovation and creativity and pushing mm-hmm. the envelope. Yep. And games like Lignum or yes. Three Kingdoms Redux or well, just... Something that does something different. Yeah, Arkwright. Well, I mean, Arkwright oh, okay. and Lignum were two things that I discovered two years in a row that we did on our uh, preview show. And Eric, even Eric sat there and said, what, what, where, what? And then now they're getting, overselling what? 700 copies of Lignum? People are now wanting this. Uh, right. Arkwright, a couple thousand maybe until Capstone got it. And what happens to that what where does that go does that stay i'm sure there will always be small companies but as we've seen in every other industry they get pushed to the side they can't find a way to get a foothold is it a good thing that we now only have a couple movie movie studio studios is it a good thing when we went down to four record companies as opposed to the dozens in the uh, 70s and 60s. Is it a good thing that Electronic Arts bought up everything? Uh, I don't even have an uh, Xbox One or PlayStation 4 because I don't care about those games anymore. It's the same stuff over and over and over again. So does that? that's my worry. Does Asmodee buying up the entire universe do the same thing to board games? That has happened in any other creative cultural medium that has ever been out there yeah i mean you i see it as i just don't see the upside the the one possible there's an upside they make a lot of money well no 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 (laughs) i'm saying upside for us and by us i mean the consumers yeah there there is none there is one marginal one that i guess you could make an argument for at least to my knowledge and that's okay so for the last few years Z-Man has had a real hard time keeping games in print, whether that's by choice or whatever. I don't know the ins and outs of how Z-Man works. However, I do know that try and find an English copy of Palaces of Carrera or how long it took to get Terra Mystica across the pond and all that. So all that was a big hassle. Maybe now, being under Asmodee, Maybe the distribution issues they have or keeping games in print issues that they have. However you want to word that, maybe that gets resolved. But even if so, does that outweigh all the negatives that you and I are pointing out here? Or potential negatives that every other you know, entertainment uh, avenue has, has run into whenever you have big time conglomerates like this taking over? 
I don't. I, I just don't see the upside here f- f- from our side of things. Yeah, you, I don't see it either. Uh, again, it just seems well. They just announced the new citadels. You can get the old citadels still. Twenty buck yep. game. This is not going to be a twenty dollars citadel. So it doesn't look like a twenty dollars citadel. Is it going to be that much better than the current one? So here we go already with let's do reprints and tweak something and it's the remastered version the 2016 remastered album which we're going to remaster it again in 2020 but right now you really want this one because it sounds just a little bit better than that one you got exactly Uh, instead of oh we're going to take a risk on uh these guys over here who have this innovative idea about chopping wood in a forest in Germany, right? <laughs> uh, it's it's that that's where it's going to go. That's my fear where it's going to go. And I it's, totally totally agree. It's fine for me because then I get out, then I'm done, just like I did with computer games. It's kind of like, okay, you guys want to play this game, Madden 2017. It's just like 2003, but no different, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's no, I I totally hear you. <laughs> I I really do. I mean, on that same note, on a game that neither of us or any of our listeners is going to care about, they're doing a second edition of Mansions of Madness, I think it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I saw it on Cool Stuff today for $87 for the pre-order, I think. Yep. Are you kidding me? Really? Yep. That seems... That seems a little high for that, doesn't it? It's uh, about what, almost fifty. Uh, well, what was the other one? Fifty bucks, something like I that. I think so. Yeah. So, so you're almost doubling. I think manufactured retail price is almost doubling. I think Quinn's was writing about it on Shut Up and Sit Down that that game. Also, look at the new edition of Raw. Um, prettier, I think it's prettier. I mean, the artwork is beautiful. Um, sure. But some of the component quality is less than the original version. And it's like fifty bucks, right? Well, it's sixty dollars, and oh, you can. I'll, I apologize. It's Sorry. Sixty dollar manufacturer price. You can get it. I believe this was the weird thing. I got a copy because it's a good casual game with people we know with the family. Oh, it, and all it's that. a real good auction game. Yeah, we re, we're fans. And I don't have a copy, so when they did okay. the reprint, I thought, wow, this would be cool. And I looked it up, and I saw some guys on Twitter going, "Really, this is fifty one dollars on discount?" And I said, "Well, that's not worth fifty one dollars." But then I went to Fun again. And they had it for 34 And that seems like the right price. But okay. why are they able to sell it for 34 when even Cool Stuff and Miniature Market were selling it for 51 Is it because they're considered a friendly local game store as well? Uh, very, very strange pricing on that. But the manufacturer's price is 60 bucks. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And this was for the new version. This huh? is the new version. I picked it up, what, a month ago or so when it came okay. out. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's 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 the spread the the pricing structure seems I mean, they're charging more supposedly for online to be able to sell online, you have to sell them at a certain price or you know, at the local game store you could sell it for less. But again, it's to prop up or at least that's how it it's it's it was sold is to help prop up a friendly local game store now i don't know about you but we don't go and game at a local game store we have our game group we order our games almost exclusively online uh 
there is one store that on occasion, maybe one weekend every couple months, will go and play some 18xx games with some other uh, trend gamers. But yeah. when we go there, we try and support the store by buying something, regardless of just something to try and, hey, thank you for letting us use your space. Right. But 99% of the time, we're not doing that. We're gaming at the house. And the same goes for our entire game group. Nobody goes to the local game store. So my question is, why are we having to pay for that service? Uh, well, I think that's a different discussion, really. But it's, <laughs> but it's really, but it's all, it all rolls into this whole propping up the game stores. I don't, you know, if they were really propping up the game stores, I don't have a problem with that. If they, if they offered the game store, if it was reversed, if they said, hey, you know what, this version of Pandemic, that people are going to want this pandemic legacy. We're only going to market through the game stores or, you know, or, you know, we're going to put out this game. We're going to put out ticket to ride, but if people want to get expansions, we're going to send them to you guys. Cause you guys know you're experts. So target isn't an expert. You're an expert. So we're going to, we're going to give you something that tells you that we actually are trying to help you. But again, it's just a ruse. They're not trying to do that. They're trying to, expand their empire and and I, I you know i'm assuming there's a board i think it's there's public ownership of this company i'm not absolutely sure i don't think it's one guy who owns it or a family owns it i, I think they do have to answer to shareholders hence they've got to make money and that's what all they're trying to do is make more money on the same product so there's a way that prices are going to go up again i don't even have a problem with that if you're getting your money's worth value you know for example when we buy an 18xx game we're paying a heck of a lot more money for an 18xx game uh than we would if it was a mass marketed game with the same components of course because it is so specialized right <clears throat> so now if asmoday buying everything up starts putting people like game surplus out of business we've got less places to buy that which probably raises the price even more as it goes on and it's harder to get and harder to move around the world uh, again, I, it's a, it just seems like a lose-lose situation for the hobby and a win situation for one company, as yep. day North America. I mean, and no, we don't know for sure how this shakes out. Nobody does. You know, this is just our take at this moment in time. What we think about this, and I think that's, I think there's a lot of legitimate concerns, and I just. Maybe because we're not super in tune with the friendly local game stores and we're not seeing the huge benefit, if any, that they are. I do know that Maggie uh, over at Mox Boarding House in Seattle said that they have their, their local game store that she is a buyer for. This is hurting them overall. It's not helping them. So, yeah, I don't know how this shakes out, but I'm, I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I saw some of the threads on uh, BGG and some game store people were saying, ah, it'll be good. And some were saying it'll be bad and nobody seems to know on that level. Um, and as far as the game stores, I think when you, you, the ones in in our town are doing quite well, I think. There's three that I can think of, Cloudcap, Guardian, and Portland Game Store that I think and are for doing those, Yeah, I was well. going to say, for those that don't know, you're in Portland, yeah, Oregon. Yeah, we're in Portland, Oregon. And Cloudcap is a small store, and they've got a nice space, and you go play. And when I go play there, I'll buy games from them. When I go to Guardian and play there, I'll buy games from them. Right. If I go to the Portland Game Store, I'll buy games from them. 
Um, and they have full houses quite often, so it's pretty good on that. But I don't think Asmodee is, has their interests at heart. They could speak better to this than I could. Again, I don't see where having so many game companies under one umbrella creates any kind of competition or creative, uh, a creative uh, environment egging each other on right. to, to do something more innovative and, and more daring so that we really capture the imaginations. I see more Call of Duty 5s. I see more uh, Caverna 7s. I've you know, how, how, you know, what are we going to get in the, in the long run? Ticket to Ride, the, uh, the Iceland Railroad. Right. It's, no, it's, I. It's a shorter game because it's a smaller place, right? So people are sure. complaining about the length of Ticket to Ride. I guess they get a short game. Go across Iceland, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> what about the forest? There are none. The trees are cut down. You just go. It's a straight line, all right? <laughs> <laughs> One circle um, going around the island. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, obviously, Asmodee is not going to take over every game company out there. And there's always going to be the indies, there's always going to be that edge. But. I do worry about the the homogenizing of the hobby and yeah. what this what this bodes potentially. So I just thought it would be interesting to talk about, and um, I'm sure people listening, both in your guild on BGG, our guild, Twitter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, hopefully, this sparks some discussion and maybe people looking into it more and maybe doing some research and and not just parroting what people that who don't know any more than you or I say, I just, you know, something to be aware of. And I think it's important because where you and I are in the hobby, as far as, you know, we're media, we're content creators, whatever, this matters to us, but it also matters to us because we play games and we buy games and, Mm and I, I know you want your your kid to be able to grow up and enjoy this hobby as much as you do. And is it going to be all homogenous when when he gets older? You know what I mean? It's just concerns. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so much space out there, right? Uh, take movies. You know, you get the same stuff over and over and over again. Every summer, well, we got to get the blockbusters out. Spider-Man 17. Spider-Man. Yes. We're on the third reboot of Spider-Man. Why? Because it makes money. Um, And so when it comes down, when I got back into this hobby, when I got into the board game side after doing Magic way back, uh, and I got off Magic for the same thing. Uh, Hasbro bought them. It became this cycle, this this endless uh, cycle where they, they appeased their pro players, but they don't really care about the guys who want to do this casually anymore. Um, and if you want an example of that, just try to play Magic Online on their online thing and get matched up against people that will just crush you because they do this all day and get every card. And they go in the tournaments and crush people and just get free cards. And it's all geared toward them. So does the board game industry get geared toward a group of people that you don't want to hang around with anymore? Will they keep being innovative? We already have situations where we're getting games that are quite similar to other games that have come i mean i i beat this drum on my show caverna was was it necessary <laughs> you know doesn't agricola get made if we have an asmo day controlling everything 
you know, back. It's in- a valid point. Yeah. I mean, and we won't know this for years down the road, right. but but it's it's definitely something to be concerned about going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, but I don't I can't think of one industry where this has ever been a good thing. <laughs> So, right. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> when it comes to creating things. So uh, that's where I'm at on this. Uh, I don't think I've railed enough. I don't think. I've, no, you really didn't. It yeah. was pretty, pretty down, pretty, pretty low key. Pretty I'm a reasoned. little disappointed. But, you know, if we would talk about DIA, the Denver International Airport, that then that gets you fired up a little uh, bit. I, but I, I love the Denver International Airport. <laughs> it gets you to us, right? It's so, of course, you love one it. One of my favorite places on the planet. Hey, I just got back from Prescott Valley, Arizona. So Denver ain't looking too bad. Right, yeah, it's like 107, just 170 degrees down there right now. I'm yeah, sure. but that's less than the average age of the people there, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. You still got another 5, 10 years. You're good. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, Going by Brandon's <laughs> numbers again, huh? Right. <laughs> All right, All right. Hey, Jim. Have I, I lost you, you enough listeners? <laughs> no, no, you're fine. I appreciate you coming on. No uh, problem. If you want real quick, uh, you want to plug the show, feel free. It's Punching Cardboard. It's it's the one where we we yell at each other, call each other idiots, and drink whiskey. There you go. We're a little All looser. Right, yeah. We we do the same games. We just we just do them different. Right, and yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. Hey, yeah. good thing. I'm glad that Asmo Day didn't buy you, so that you and I can do the same thing and do it differently. Yeah, we 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 haven't sold out to anybody yet. We're yeah, we're looking for buyers though. Anybody want to send us some offers? <laughs> <laughs> hey, and real quick before you run, um, yeah, and so you and I have talked off off air about doing our uh, S in anticipation show and all that. Uh, late September, early October. So you're gonna broach oh. this now. You're gonna get the people to leave our podcasts now, right? I figure we could always cut it off. <laughs> we oh, could always edit all it. your people are going, oh, God, they're going to have him on again. All right. No, no, no. We'll, get, we'll, we'll talk about it later. All right. Cool. Uh, no, yeah, we'll do it. Definitely. Uh, Eric, yeah, I'm excited for that. And Eric will even join us for this one. What? Yeah. Cool. Should be a good time, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for having me. I know a lot of people are looking forward to our take on Uwe Rosenberg's Fields of Arla, so let's get into it. Let's go. So this was published in 2014. Again, the designer is Uwe Rosenberg. The artist is Dennis Lohausen. In America, it's published by Z-Man. The player count, as Edward mentioned, is one to two players, and it takes about an hour a player. Unfortunately, for availability and cost, it's about $80 to $100 on the secondary market, I checked, and all online friendly game stores are out of stock. And yeah, um, that kind of was a shocker to us. Yeah, I, w- I was really surprised that it was out of stock. You know, I, I guess it's out of print because it is Z-Man. They do small print runs, it seems. Well, prior to the Asmo Day taking over, but that said, um, I'm kind of glad that it is because now we can feature it. Right, that was a joke that we decided because we were in our office talking about the game and I'm prepping and everything and I go to look up how much it is and I was like wait what so we were like oh we waited just long enough for it to go out of print now we can review it <laughs> but uh currently as of um this recording there are none on the marketplace so I guess you'll have to try your luck on eBay unfortunately all right Amanda so what's going on in a game 
All right, so in Fields of Arla, players develop their East Frisia estate during nine turns or half years. The turns alternate summer and winter, and that means that different actions are available at different times. You can only do certain things during summer and only do certain things during winter. Your estate is developed by cutting peat, expanding dikes, building buildings, and cultivating farm animals. You score points by clearing the peat that starts on your board, expanding those dikes, and upgrading your equipment on the main game playing board. On the main playing board. You can also travel and trade with other towns, but not other players, to obtain materials needed to expand your estate. Those travels and trading allow you to receive points as well. There is one main board that contains all available actions for each half year, indicators for upgrading tools, along with buildings for purchase, and the turn track. The board is worker placement, therefore workers can block. So if player A goes to a space, player B cannot. These spaces allow you to do all the things you need to do. Cut peat, gather wood, upgrade your tools to obtain more goods, purchase vehicles, purchase buildings, etc. For the player boards, you have one main board that is your fields. This one comes with moors that are full of peat, one small boardwalk that's full of peat, two fields, one corn, one flax, and a stall for animal storage. (laughs) Which can get really full. There are sections of your board that must be covered up before in-game scoring are buildings that must be removed or they will cost you victory points if they're not. You also have a travel destinations and barn board, which is a little travel area up at the top that has all of the different cities you can travel to and trade with the game for points, and the barn, which is for vehicle storage. You obtain vehicles through actions on the main board, which allow you to obtain upgraded goods by placing them on the vehicle and then offloading them during the cleanup phase each half year. After nine half years, the game ends. There's a scoring pad to determine points for each item, buildings, travel, goods, etc. There are three types of animals, cows, horses, and sheep. Each animal is worth a differing amount depending on the numbers of each. The animal you have the least of is worth two, next least one, and the one that you have the most of is worth zero each. The player That's with the very Reiner Knizia-ish. It is. And a player with the highest score wins. So let's review the scalability of the game. Well, as much as it can, right? Because right. it only plays one or a solo or two players. Right. I have five plays. They're all two player. Um, didn't play it solo, but definitely recommend checking out the low player count and Travis's take on solo Fields of Arlo if you are so interested. But how about you? How many games? Did I you played buy? it Get four, it? all okay. two player, all with you. Your one other game was with Tony when the game first came out. Yep. Yeah. All right. So. Let's talk about the components. So how'd you like the, the cardboard? I think it's nice and thick. It's not yeah, really wobbly. Thick, yeah, thick cardboard, really good uh, component quality, chunky wooden bits for the animals, just, you know, standard, oh, hey, it's a cow. You right. know, they have stickers or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then all the other animals, um, just really solid, very happy with the production quality and components in general. Yep. And... I'm happy for the most part with the graphic design. There are arrows that indicate whether something can be done as many times as possible and another for only once. And the indication is just a difference in color. And that can be confusing. So I would prefer like a 1X or an infinity symbol on the arrows or something instead of it just being a different color. I think that would have been much better. That's funny because that was my one real gripe about that. I had to look that up in a rule book a few times Mm -hmm. until it stuck. Other than that, I was... I'm really happy with the uh, with the graphic design of mm-hmm. it as well. So what about the rule book? I felt like it kind of was a bit all over the place. But, I mean, you can get your answers, your questions answered. It just might take some digging. 
uh, a little bit. Uh, the rule book's fairly long, and that's due to the attempt to clarify pretty much everything and, and not leave too much by way of ambiguities. There was one misprint in the rule book for milking sheep, but other <laughs> than that, I can't think of any question that we had that wasn't in the rule book, but like you said, a little bit of when you ha- kind of have to familiarize yourself with the layout of the rule book itself. But once you have that down, I thought it was a very high quality, uh, well written rule book. So, what makes this game heavy or medium? What do you think I, it is? I'd say it's solid medium. What do you Same think? Here. Yeah, I think okay. so as well. Um, as far as complexity goes, uh, I think it's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. for the most part. There's there's just not a lot by way of of do's and don'ts and right. rules overhead as far as that's concerned. Because hey, you have X amount of workers, and depending on what season it is, you have these options available right. to you here, and then go and do those things. And so it's it's pretty straightforward, I would say. Yeah, you? I would agree. Yeah, definitely. There's not many. Not many rules. There's not a lot of stuff that you have to... The main thing that you have to think about is whether it's summer or winter and what options are available to you. That's really all you need to truly worry about. Right. Now, about the planning, there is quite a bit of planning um, because you have to be able to plan quite a few steps ahead in order to be able to complete the tasks you want. You have to think about what items you're going to need in order to do X what all you will need in order to be able to buy building X, travel to whatever destination. But that's, you know, that's the beauty of the game. That's what makes it fun. Totally agree. It's it's all about uh, converting this to this to this to be able to end up getting these points mm-hmm. here, so on and so forth. And yeah, it's just being able to plan out your, your path and hopefully not have somebody snatch your uh, building out from under you before you were ready. All right, so about luck and random factors. I mean, there are many different buildings to use, which that's, I guess, the random part, but that helps with replayability. There's no yeah. luck in the game. Right, it's all pre-game setup, right. and there's, you know, there. I think there's, of the different, what, uh, five different types of buildings, um, a few of them are set. You only have these to select every game and it's the same ones every game, but there is some variability uh, between a couple of the colors. Not all of them are used. So, but again, it's all out in front of you before the game starts. Right. So how about how long do you think it takes to get the game? I would say after uh, one full year, which is two turns, that way you can see the end of season on both sides of the board to be able to understand, oh, hey, I have to heat and eat or just, you know, or feed and heat, as it were, um, or not. And there's animal husbandry on one season and not the other. But once you get that down, I think after two turns of a nine turn game, I think I think you're good. You? Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I feel like you looked at my notes because that's almost exactly what I <laughs> had written down. So, yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Now, obviously, I mean, the end game scoring, it's just calculating all the things that you, you know, acqu- uh, either positive or negative that you've uh, your cumulative score. But outside of that, yeah, it's it. There's just not much there. Mm-mm. The one thing that can trip people up, I suppose, that just to be aware of that I don't think you really need to see it in action before it happens. Just be very aware of it. Is that whole Kinesia scoring yeah. uh, the whatever you have the fewest of scores the most as far as animals. And 
So you can't just load up on one or two types of animals. It's got to be all three. Mm -hmm. And that's actually one of the things that I like about the game. I like the juggle of the farm animals because to make the most out of the game, you really need to end the game with the exact same number of each type of animal. And that's hard, man. Um, Or if not equal number, at least close to. Yeah, right? but, but if you're able to have the exact same number of every animal, it's effectively a victory point each animal. Right. So you have to make sure you're using the types of animals you need, you know, because like some buildings, vehicles, and tools only want sheep, for example. So you need to make sure that the animals you're using are sheep, but also that you're keeping up with having the same number of sheep and horses and cows. Right, exactly. And I do like the amount of freedom that the game has, uh, just the where and how you're going to focus on scoring. Ultimately, you're both going to the same destination, both players are, but how you get there can be vastly different as far Mm as, oh, I'm focusing more on this, this, and this, whereas I'm focusing on maybe building these couple buildings and a little bit of here and maybe a little bit of travel while you're loading up on travel and doing all this other stuff. So on that note, there. There's definitely different paths to victory, even though you all end up in the same destination, so to speak. Right. And I I always enjoy having my own board to work on and to build, and that's always a hit for me. It And it really doesn't even have the feel of multiplayer solitaire because the other person can take the tool you need in the half year you're currently in, and then you're screwed until that half year comes around again. Yeah, but see, and I would completely disagree about the whole multiplayer solitaire. I do. This is basically the only amount of interaction there is, is the blocking that can come from either inadvertent or purposely blocking someone. And outside of that, there just, I just don't think there is any. I don't think there's hardly any interaction whatsoever. Now, I'm not saying that's a negative for you and I. I think... Mm -hmm. I think we both enjoyed our plays of it in a sense that the multiplayer solitaire is neither here nor there. But I I would definitely disagree Hmm. as far as whether or not it is. I definitely think it is. Well, to me, I don't think it is because I feel like if there's any interaction really at all with each other then it's not because how can it be if... Okay, no, that's fair. I'm just looking more... In my head, I'm comparing it more to other interactive games mm-hmm. that uh, just have a lot more. And so comparing it to those that I would consider not multiplayer solitaire and those that are, this is definitely on the, this is one of those right. end of the scale. All right. I also like growing things into other things, you know, so for example. That whole this, resource conversion yeah, aspect. Yeah, you can, you can turn a bolt of wool into a coat. I mean, it's as simple as putting it on a vehicle and then flipping it over during unloading, but it's still fun. I also like the the different buildings that can come out. Like Edward talked about earlier, some are static, but some change each game. And it's, you know, always fun to see what different buildings come out and what strategy you want to take during gameplay to get those buildings. Yeah, there's a broad but somewhat shallow decision tree in the game. Mm -hmm. Um, You're quick to realize that, oh, I get these resources from these spots, travel to this town, convert them to these goods, then convert those towns into this building, and that's easy peasy. But the sheer number of options and where you can go, you can kind of get lost as far as just overwhelming amounts of decisions to make in short or not so many decisions to make but more options that you have 
um, I find myself, you know, telling myself, hey, stay on target, stay on target. Right. Ooh, shiny. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> Uh, you know, strategy can be different every game. So maybe one game you go heavy animals and the next you go heavy buildings or heavy materials. I mean, each material and each building are worth in-game points. So they're all valid strategies to try. With that openness, there's less direction in what and how to score points. So which I can appreciate, even though it's not necessarily what I prefer. I don't want hand-holding, but it's just... It's just wide open and there's ways to circumvent when you do get blocked out of a location. Mm -hmm. Okay, hey, I was going to go cut Pete, but I have enough and I can always wait until next year or wait until the next season and double back onto the other season for that one action. So there's ways around it, but I do like that there are those different strategies that you can apply. While you and I kind of disagree about the amount of interaction in the game or whether or not it's multiplayer solitaire and semantics or whatever you definitely have to be acutely aware of what your opponent is trying to do both for hurrying to a spot before they do knowing that you can like or whether or not you can likely delay because of what your opponent's doing that you can you don't have to rush to a location or maybe you do based on what it is that they're trying to do on their board um I kind of dig that. I like that I can look over and be like, "Huh, okay. You're trying to you're trying to gather up these goods for that building." All right. So, assuming you're focusing on that, I don't need to hurry up to go here because you're not that has nothing to do with what you need for that building, so I can wait on that and maybe go to a more contested spot before mm-hmm. you do that type thing. All right. So what did you think about the art? I like it. I think it's just cartoony enough to be cute, but it's still functional. Completely agree. And the one thing I really appreciate is on the travel track, whenever you visit any of the cities, uh, you flip them over, put them onto your board, and you know they, they score points as they add up. And it's just a, a little road that meanders along. Mm-hmm. And each one of those city tiles has a really cool little scene on it whether it's hey there's some cows on the road or sheep or whatever but my favorite other than the pothole which is pretty cool i just i dig that is the silhouette of the dragon Mm -hmm. on there like uh uh-oh yeah (laughs) i mean it has nothing to do with the game it's just just little cute yeah it's little artistic touches that they don't detract from the game but i i appreciate little touches like that yeah i really really like the idea uh, of the clever use of the turn order mechanic in using the off-season space, um, that there's a first-come, first-serve, but there's a cost to where, okay, if we're in summer, you can go and do a winter action. One person can one time if you're really desperate for that one action, but you're doing it at the cost of being able to be first in the next season. So if it's not, it, how important is it to you? You know, right. is it? super important that I go first next turn or do I have to have that right now for what it is I'm trying to do here in summer and I like that uh, that balance of scale as far as hmm which is more important first or the action first or the action and the copy action can save your hide pun intended on that (laughs) 
Uh, but there, there's one action space per season in which you can copy what one of the other workers has done, whether it be your worker or my worker. And I have mixed feelings on that, but it really can save you when you're in a pinch. But I'm not sure that I really am too keen on that. More on that later. Well, speaking of which, what's not to like about Fields of Arla? Well, first and foremost, the game's a bit of a chore. And by a bit, I mean it's a pretty it's good a chore to chore. set up. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, it really impeded my my want to play it on some days. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's involved. And I'm like, if you have a long day at work, whatever, I'm like, I don't know if I want to go through the setup process on that. And eh, we'll play something else. That yeah. type that type thing. And it could just be me being lazy and making a mountain out of a molehill, but it's a fact. There's just so much stuff that it was just a pain in the ass to, to put together and, and lay out. Yeah, and I mean, whenever we were getting ready for the show, we just kept it set up. We would reset everything and and then after we were done with the game and just not put it up. It just it stayed out on the table. And I just made it easier to get it. Which played. in that if you can do that, if you have the luxury of not having a cat, then hey, by all means, definitely recommend it and you have a dedicated space, et cetera, et cetera. Right. We already touched on that there's very little interaction whether you want to call it multiplayer solitaire or not there's just not a lot of interaction just the worker placement blocking and and that's about it now earlier i mentioned uh, mentioned that whole copy action this game is much closer to caverna than agricola when it comes to the feeling open and ways to circumvent being blocked in a worker placement game and I much prefer a tighter worker placement game, but I enjoy this compared to Converna, which is, you know, the other wide open Uwe farming game. But I just, it's just so wide open and there's just so many ways to go around. I shouldn't say so many ways, but there are ways around that that I, I feel like the tension and the, just the tightness of the game just is is lacking a bit for what it is that I'm looking for in a worker placement game. How about you? I kind of feel the same way. I have to say that if I want a brain burning game, then I'll play Agricola. But if I just want to sit down, have fun with some cow meeples, then Fields of Arla is the way to go for me. And this is a bit more of an efficiency engine game Mm -hmm. than not. And I just, I get what you're saying. I just, when you factor in the setup and you factor in that it's just, it's not my favorite cup of tea when it comes to worker placement games in how wide open it is. Yeah, it just, it it's just more open than I would like it to be, All I right. guess is what I'm trying to say. And I guess another big question I have is, is more better? What I mean by that is, while I appreciate that we're reviewing Fields of Arla, I feel the need to ask the question in comparison to the other games in Uve's catalog and the trend of packing more into the box. I mean, you you look at Caverna, obviously right. Fields of Arla, and the upcoming Feast for Odin. They're just trying to pack more and more and more stuff into a box. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just I just don't know if at what point the tipping point is where, okay, look, just trim it down. We don't need right. this much stuff in a in the game and i'm not saying that's the case here it's just it makes me wonder right like are the boxes going to suddenly be 20 pounds yeah it's just hey if, if the game's good the game's good so be it it's just i wonder if we're reaching a threshold and fields of arla is just another one of those in that line wow okay that makes sense 
All right, so since I usually do not like to follow Edward when it comes to summaries, I'm going to go ahead and do mine first. <laughs> Fields of Arla is one of Rosenberg's finest games. There are many ways to victory in this game, and it is said that this is an autobiographical game for him, and you can definitely tell it was made with love. Yes, it is similar to other games of his, but I feel this one is very well done and could be one of my favorite Rosenberg games, behind only Agricola and Le Havre. For me, I think Fields of Arla is a good game. I don't think it's an exceptional game. I don't think it's a special game, but I think it's fine. I think it's a good game. Is it one of my favorite Rosenberg games? No. There's Le Havre, there's Orit Labora, there's a handful of games that I would I would personally rather play, especially Agricola, than I would Fields of Arla, but that's not to say it's a it's a bad game. It's just it suffers from the same thing that Caverna suffers from when it comes to me and that's just it's too open for my liking uh but it's that's not to detract from the game itself i know there are legions of fans and rightfully so but for me nah i think it misses the mark a little bit so if you're just listening to the show for the first time we rate on a one to six scale one it's not me it's you burn it with fire and damn you if you were to pass this game on to anyone else a two it's not you, it's me. Just not our cup of tea. Accept it and move on. Three, we feel the game, it's a little below average, but there may be some redeeming features or mechanics, but overall just meh. Now a four, now we're talking above average. Mechanically or in gameplay, there's something good going on, and this is the point at which we consider owning a copy. A five is terrific, dare I say great game. Strongly like the game and almost assuredly will own it. And a six... Now you're talking a Hall of Fame game potential for us. No brainer. We will absolutely 100% own this game. All right. So let's talk about ratings. What you got? Well, for me, I gave it a solid four. Uh, I could make a case for it being a three. I could make a case for it being a five. But for me personally, it's a four on the one to six scale. It's it's good, but it's, it's not anything that I'm going to go out of my way to want to play. So how about you? Yeah, I would agree. I um. I honestly originally rated this a five, but the more that I'm sitting here thinking about it, the more I do feel like that it's a four because the way that I try to think about these types of games and just the games that we rate in general is would I want to go to a game day and only play the game that we're featuring? And if I would, then I would say it's a five or a six, but I don't think that I would want to go to a game day and only play Fields of Arla and play nothing else. So to me, that means that it's a four or lower. So I think it, that this is a four. I do think that it's a, that it's above average and that there's, you know, good stuff going on, but I don't know about it being any higher than a four. Even though it's one of your favorite Rosenberg games. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, it's one of my favorites, but just because it's one of my favorites doesn't mean that it's a five or a six. One more thing real quick. So you mentioned, that if you were going to a game day and you were only playing this game, are you meaning you only have time to play one game when you go to game day? And if this was the one game, would you be super excited about that? No, I'm not saying playing it 15 times. I'm saying in a game day, right? right? I'm playing multiple times. Right. I'm saying that if the game day, I only had time to go for one game. Like you said, it could be a two hour game or it could be a seven hour game. It doesn't matter. Just, I only have time for one. I don't think I would go. Maybe every six months or so, but 
I would want to go if that's if fall. it were Fields of Arlo. You're right, saying right. Interesting, huh? That's a that's an interesting way to to think about it. And I I don't think I've ever thought about the you know it be it ratings or just how much I like a game. Looked at it from that point of view, but I think I might going forward. That's an interesting take. Cool. Huh. All right. Cool. All right, guys. That's Fields of Arla. All right. So Edward, why don't you tell everybody how to get in contact with us? Our website, heavycardboard.com. Our email, contact at heavycardboard.com. We love hearing from our listeners, so don't be shy. Twitter, at heavycardboard. We are very, very active on Twitter. Amanda's Twitter is at Amanda U. Facebook, heavycardboard. Instagram, heavycardboard. Our Patreon, come support us. We definitely appreciate everyone that is doing so. Patreon.com forward slash heavycardboard. And our BGG Guild is number 2044. A lot of good discussions pretty much continuously going on over there. So come join the Guild and say hi. Alright, so that about puts a bow on episode 51. And now because we're a little bit behind, we want to play catch up. We're going to have three episodes in the next two weeks to catch up, so it's going to be all-you-can-eat heavy cardboard. For better or for worse, right? (laughs) Hopefully for better. Hopefully for better, right. All right, then we'll, uh, I guess we'll talk to you all soon. Very, very soon. Very soon. (laughs) All right. Next day or two. See you all later on this week, then. All right, bye, guys. Thanks. Bye.